Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You are entering the news vault from KCBS Radio. Flames and the smoke. I have a tape recorder in my hand. Now nobody would think of doing that. The newsmen were blocking the door. It worked for a couple of seconds. Bringing the sounds of history back to life. Here is your host, Stan Bunger. For me, one of the great joys of this podcast has been unearthing little-known or long-lost nuggets. It's one thing to find KCBS coverage of a big story, and those are interesting to listen to today. But it's another thing to just pick something off the shelf that uh, perhaps was never even intended to have been saved. And this episode is just such a thing. It's an hour of news on the air on KCBS, a nighttime hour, 11 o'clock hour on Thursday, October 10th, 1974. We have about a 30-minute slice here, beginning with Walter Cronkite's commentary on CBS Radio. But the anchor is David Fowler, and David Fowler was a significant figure in Bay Area broadcast news history. He started at KCBS as a reporter in 1971. He became the bureau chief in San Jose, and once in a while, apparently, according to this segment, would anchor hours on the air. In 1975, just a year or so, maybe even less after this segment was recorded, David Fowler switched over to television, well-known as a general assignment reporter on KPIX uh, channel. He was the midday news anchor for a number of years where he shared the set with the great Belva Davis. Uh, And then in 1980, he switched over to anchor and report at KRON. Sometime after that, David Fowler moved over to work for the government. He had a long-time position with FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. He worked in the public information area and helped deal with media concerns. He uh, also was associate editor of Earth Week. That was a feature that ran in lots and lots of newspapers, in, including the San Francisco Chronicle, for many years. David Fowler also with a great interest in history. I do recall talking with him over the years about his fascination with the San Francisco earthquake and fire of 1906. He ended up editing a book that is considered a classic of the genre, Denial of Disaster, the untold story and photographs of the San Francisco earthquake and fire of 1906. That book was the project of longtime San Francisco archivist Gladys Hansen and one-time fire chief Emmett Condon. 
David Fowler passed away several years ago, but in this segment from 1974, you hear him anchoring that late-night newscast on KCBS. Some other great voices from the past. Well, Bob Safford is a reporter on one segment in this, and you'll hear Don Klein, the longtime KCBS sports director, with a segment. And also of note, David Fowler reading a live 60-second commercial. That was standard practice on KCBS into the 1980s. Special thanks to the California Historical Radio Society, Bay Area Radio Museum, and ACE Audio Archivist Andrew Welburn for preserving this piece of KCBS history. ...appear before the House or a House committee, but he was never asked to appear. And according to a study of the incident by historian Stephen Horn in the Cabinet and the Congress, the House requested only that Washington turn over some documents related to the expedition. The first president did so after determining their release would not injure the public good. The second president, named by the White House, supposedly occurred in 1862, when President Lincoln appeared before the House Judiciary Committee to explain the leak of his State of the Union message to the New York Herald. Rumor had linked the disclosure to Mrs. Lincoln and led to charges that she sympathized with the Confederate cause. Historians, however, can find no official records of the meeting. The Herald and at least four other newspapers did report that Lincoln appeared before the committee to prevent disgrace threatened by the uproar over the leak. But one contemporary source indicates the meeting was more like an informal get-together with House members. Newspaper reports show Lincoln meeting with members of Congress on a number of other occasions. But the available evidence indicates that they too were informal and may not have occurred on Capitol Hill, or certainly not in recorded formal committee sessions. George Washington did appear before the Senate, the full Senate, not a committee, to seek advice and consent on treaty negotiations with the Creek Indians. But when the Senate balked at his proposals, he stormed out in a fury, never again consulted with the Senate before ratification. And that did set a precedent. White House concern over precedent in this case is more than historical quibbling. Officials there were clearly concerned that it might be interpreted as signaling an erosion of executive powers. New Secretary Ron Nessam tried to scuttle that possibility. He maintained that this does not set a precedent for presidential compliance with any future requests for testimony on other issues, since Mr. Ford is appearing in this case voluntarily. Well, that may be so. The President Ford's decision to appear comes after a long siege of executive resistance to congressional desires and demands. And it comes at a time when Congress is moving on its own to reassert its authority. If it is not a precedent, it at least appears to be a significant change in the atmosphere. This is Walter Cronkite reporting for CBS News. Welcome to the Magic Pan Creperies. If you're looking for something different from the usual steak and potatoes, a place with music where you can talk and not feel rushed, with fresh flowers on the table and candlelight and wine, let me recommend the Sutter Street Magic Pan near Union Square. Try something new, the Beef Bourguignon Crepe with a crepe ratatouille made with zucchini, tomatoes, and eggplant. Or steak kebab with a fresh mushroom crepe. Or the crepe Saint-Jacques, scallops, shrimp, and mushrooms in a bechamel sauce. On Thursday, Friday, and Saturday evenings, Kaya, a golden girl from the great Northwest, plays her exquisite harp, familiar classics and favorite requests of yours. Try the magic pan for a perfect evening at moderate prices, where the wheel goes round and round cooking crepes. Also at Ghirardelli Square in San Jose and late in October at Hillsdale in San Mateo. See you soon at the Magic Pan.
KCBS News Time, 11:12. Time for the KCBS Sports Line. Well, the Chicago Sun Times reports tonight, or actually in tomorrow morning's edition there, that Oakland A's pitching ace Jim Catfish Hunter will quit the team immediately after the World Series to become a free agent. The newspaper says that Hunter made the decision because he claims that Charlie Finley has failed to pay half of his $100,000 a year salary for 1974. The newspaper says Hunter notified Finley a month ago that he plans to become a free agent October 21st. That's the day after the completion of the World Series should it last seven games. The Sun Times reports Hunter says he received fifty thousand dollars of his salary in regular bi-weekly installments. The paper said Finley refused to pay the remaining half, which, according to Hunter's contract, would have been in deferred payments beginning mid-season. In National Hockey League activity tonight, Buffalo took Boston nine to five, and it was Los Angeles over Philadelphia five to three. For more on sports, here's KCBS Sports Director Don Klein. Reggie Jackson says the A's are the best team in baseball, an opinion not shared by Steve Garvey and his Dodger mates, who say they'll prove their point sometime between now and a week from Sunday. Allowing for the understandable prejudice in both viewpoints, you might check with the oddsmakers, but that gets you a standoff as well. They'll tell you the Dodgers will win the first game with Andy Messersmith on the mound against Ken Holtzman or Vida Blue at odds of six to five for that one. But then they'll tell you to flip a coin on the eventual series winner. The clubs are actually similar enough to make the choice a difficult one. Both have strong pitching with good relievers, speed plus power at the plate. Even though the A's will have to start putting it to work more than they did in the final two games in Baltimore, where they had a total of five hits in the two games, only one, of course, in that playoff clincher. The Dodgers cannot afford the kind of inconsistency that plagued them in the Tuesday game when they committed five errors and prolonged the decision against the Pirates to four games. They don't have the pitching depth of the A's in Messersmith and Sutton, matched against Holtzman, Vida Blue, and Jim Hunter, whom they don't figure to hit as they did against the Pirates. In this kind of series, maybe it'll be the umpires who will decide it. Ball or a strike call, maybe a close call on one of the bases here or there to keep a base runner alive. Those kind of decisions decide the close ones, and from here it looks very close. The Baltimore Orioles, by the way, of course, folded on the playing field in the face of that Oakland pitching, and now it's the Orioles' ownership ready to throw in the towel. Dave Humphrey has the story in Baltimore. Owner Jerry Hofberger says the Baltimore Orioles baseball club is for sale. Hofberger, quoted in a Baltimore Afternoon newspaper, says he will soon suggest the terms he wants for the American League East champions. Hofberger notes he's been unsuccessful in drawing fans to the Baltimore ballpark, and adds, "Perhaps it's time for someone else to take a try at it." The Orioles drew just over 962,000 home fans for 74 playing dates during the just-completed season. This is Dave Humphrey in Baltimore. After drawing about half that, some 520,000 at Candlestick, Giants owner Horace Stoneham would probably settle for that Baltimore turnout right now. That 28,000 turnout in the final game of the playoffs between the A's and the Orioles may have been the point of no return where Jerry Hofberger was concerned. In the football's action, while Cal and Stanford opened their conference seasons this week, the Bears at home against Oregon, the Cards on the road against UCLA, the Raiders take on the Chargers in their transplanted game in San Diego. The 49ers with a Monday night date in Detroit. The Raiders will have Ken Stabler at the controls, although he had been listed as questionable after complaining of a sore knee earlier in the week. After going through the most recent workouts, Stabler now listed as the starter, although Daryl Lamonica has had some extra time in the Raider workouts this week. 
On the golf scene overseas, South African Gary Player bidding to win the title for the record sixth time scored an impressive 4-3 and three victory over Texan Ben Crenshaw in the first round of the Piccadilly World Match Play Golf Championship. And he'll tackle another American in Friday's semifinals when he lines up against Californian Jerry Hurd, who defeated uh, last year's runner-up Australian Graham Marsh by two holes. That's sports, and this is Don Klein. Fiddletown, Chinese camp, Dutch flat, <laughs> Yankee gyms. Sure, the miners are all gone now, and so are the dance hall girls, but there are still many small towns hidden away in Northern California that are just waiting to be discovered by you. And now you can, in a great new book from Glendale Federal Savings. It's called Exploring Small Towns in Northern California, and it's free. All you have to do is stop by any one of Glendale Federal's 11 Bay Area offices through October 11th, and ask for your free copy. You'll find fascinating information and wonderful one-day and weekend tour suggestions that'll take you from the Bay Area across California all the way to the legendary gold country. Every Glendale Federal office is open from 10 till 6, Monday through Friday. So come on in. Say hello and have some coffee and cookies and pick up your free book. In San Francisco, Glendale Federal's new Lakeside branch is at 301 Unipero Serra at the corner of Ocean Avenue. KCBS News Time, 1118. What goes on is on right now. KCBS, San Francisco. And here are the top stories. Washington, final jury selection in the Watergate cover-up trial is expected tomorrow. Sacramento, the Food and Agriculture Department says it will lower by a penny a half gallon the cost of milk. In San Francisco... The Port Commission is starting a move to bring class back to Fisherman's Wharf. I'm David Fowler in San Francisco. Diane Swan's at the editor's desk. The address is 6400 Mission Street, Top of the Hill, Daddy City. And you know, you should be coming over to Matthews. That's the Top of the Hill, Daddy City. Oh, there's a lot of imitators. We're complimented. But you know, when it comes to price, when it comes to the top brand names, nobody can beat the Matthews deal. That's the way we feel about it. And that's what a lot of you tell us. Why don't you come by and prove it to yourself? For example, the Sony Trinitron Color TV. You know, there's a lot of great movies on the Goldfinger movies and all kinds of things that are on right now. Sony Trinitron, as you know, has the single-gun picture tube. It's sold for $470. It was the 1710, one of our hottest models. Matthews bought $140,000 worth, and we've crashed the price to $399. $399? Nobody's been cutting price on Sony Trinitron. Matthews is right now. And we don't discount at 10 or $20. We're cutting the price over 70 bucks off right now. And it's brand new in the carton while they last. I think you better make it a Matthews. Check out Zenith for 318 How about a Motorola big screen black and white portable TV for $59.95? Matthews, 6400 Mission Street, top of the hill, Daddy City. KCBS News Time, 1119. The San Francisco Port Commission has approved a small start aimed at improving the image of Fisherman's Wharf, which is now sliding into a carny mishmash of cheap joints among the fi restaurants and fishing boats. The commission okayed a report of the Mayor's Committee on Fisherman's Wharf. Now, the committee has urged a rebuilding of Fisherman's Alley. That's a cluster of seafood processing plants. A board to review architecture at the wharf, improve traffic control and lighting, and the employment of wood rather than plastic in wharf structures. The Port Commission also asked for a $45,000 state loan to plan new berthing facilities for fishing and pleasure boats. Well, there may be some changes in the way the San Francisco City Prison is run. That story now from KCBS Newswoman Sammy Madison. The Fire Safety and Police Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors has decided to send a letter to the city's attorney directing him to draft an ordinance which would consolidate the city's prison and county jail into one operation. 
According to testimony by William Mallon of the Mayor's Committee on Criminal Justice, the city would save $277,000 a year by the merging. The Sheriff's Department would have to hire an additional 45 new deputies, but it would allow 37 policemen to be put back on the streets to fight crime, as Supervisor Al Nelder indicated. Nelder, the former police chief of San Francisco, says at one time he was opposed to combining the jail and the prison under one direction. But he says times have changed and San Francisco must keep up. Three men spoke before the committee on the question of consolidation. The Northern California Council of Churches and the San Francisco Bar Association are both in favor. But Jerry Crowley, president of the Police Officers Association, says it will be an unwise move to combine the jail and the prison. The target day for the Sheriff's Department taking over the city and county jails is July 75. Once the city attorney has drafted the ordinance, it then goes back to the full board of supervisors for their acceptance or rejection. Sammy Madison, San Francisco City Hall. KCBS News Time, 1121. Police armed with a judge's orders searched the offices of radio station KPFK in Los Angeles today, but failed to find a communique the station received from a terrorist group which claimed responsibility for Saturday night's uh, hotel bombing there in Los Angeles. Station manager Will Lewis, and you might remember that he went to jail before for refusing to surrender an SLA tape, said he had removed the original document. The document came from Unit 2 of the New World Liberation Front. That's what this group calls itself. They claim responsibility for planting a bomb at the Sheraton Airport Inn Saturday night. That bomb blew out walls in a woman's restroom. The group said the bombing was to protest the part played by the, uh, or played by the uh, ITT, which owns the Sheraton Group and the military takeover in Chile. Uh, Deputy District Attorney Stephen Trott said, we're not asking for their sources. He says all we're trying to do is apprehend the bombers before someone gets killed. A dozen officers searched the newsroom, tape archives, and master control room at the station, but failed to find the documents. Trott said the search warrant was necessary because there wasn't enough time to go to the county grand jury. He said, we consider this a matter of some urgency. He also said it would have taken us a long time to go to the grand jury. We're trying to catch the bombers right now, not next June. Lewis went to jail last June himself for refusing to give the FBI the original of an SLA tape recording made by Patricia Hurst and Bill and Emily Harris. He spent 19 days in federal prison and then was ordered released by William O. Douglas. California Lieutenant Governor John Harmer told a Federal Energy Administration hearing today here in San Francisco that state and local governments should be given more authority in developing solutions to energy problems. He told the concluding project independence panel that local involvement was necessary for the success of the FEA's fuel conservation program. In a reply to a question, Harmer, who is also chairman of California's Energy Planning Council, said he's opposed to gasoline rationing. He said it just doesn't work in the long run. He said production and distribution of energy is a major industry here in California with benefits to workers, consumers, and investors equal to what he says there are in any other industry. He said severe cutbacks in output will mean higher per-unit costs to the consumer. He also said any conservation plan should be tempered with reason and justice and should be aimed at reducing waste and the rate of growth of energy consumption, not of existing production enterprises. KCBS News Time, 1124. Here's an important message from Montgomery Ward. If it's time to paint your house, look into Montgomery Ward's half-price paint sale. Now's the time to buy your interior and exterior flat latex paint at Montgomery Ward. Half price. 
This week only, half price, just $1.99 a gallon. Our famous one-coat life acrylic latex, highly scrubbable deluxe paint for interiors is reduced in price $5 a gallon. What a bargain that is. Remember, Ward's exterior and interior flat latex paint is on sale, half price, the lowest price this year, just $1.99 a gallon. Hurry, the half-price sale of exterior and interior flat latex paint is this week only at all Montgomery Ward stores. And don't forget to pick up your Montgomery Ward Christmas catalog. It's yours free at any Montgomery Ward store. KCBS News Time, 1125. This is Gene Nelson. I'm speaking to you from the Tia Maria restaurant in Burlingame at 1590 Old Bay Shore, and I'm uh, speaking with Shelley Sharon, who's here tonight with a friend. You ever eaten at a Tia Maria before? Oh, yes. Many times. Ever heard a Tia Maria commercial before? Oh, yes. Yes? Yes. Never thought I'd be on one. Where's your home? San Francisco. And what do you do for a living? I'm a personnel director. How many times would you say you've eaten at a Tia Maria? Oh, several times. Very often. Always this one? Yes. You got a window seat and the whole thing. Oh, yes. The best waitress in town. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Do you like the service here? Love it. Love it. And what about the food? Oh, the food is great. But nothing like it. I trust you'll come again. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Anytime we get the chance. And now you're a radio star. Oh, sure. <laughs> you can tell people to eat at Tia Maria because Shelly eats here. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. That's Tia Maria Restaurants, where satisfied customers tell our story best. 56 degrees in downtown San Francisco. In Sacramento, the Department of Food and Agriculture says it will roll back uh, milk prices by one cent a half gallon in San Francisco and surrounding counties. At the same time, department officials said they would suspend wholesale minimum milk prices in Alameda, Contra Costa, San Francisco, San Mateo, Santa Clara, Monterey, and San Benito counties. The department sets all minimum milk prices in California at the producer, wholesale, and retail levels. Jed Adams, who's the chief of the state's milk marketing program, said the decision to lower the price of milk at the retail level is based on information which was presented to public hearings August 28th and September 4th. Four of the first contingent of women traffic officers sworn in by the California Highway Patrol 10 days ago have dropped out. That, according to CHP officials, the women were part of an 80-cadet class going through 16 weeks of training at the Patrol's Academy in Sacramento. The class is 50% women. Since the law enforcement agency was organized in 1929, no woman has been among the thousands who have patrolled in the familiar black and white cars which cruise freeways here in California. An eight-year survey by the State Air Resources Board shows that vehicles in use in California are emitting less pollution each year. Now, that study, according to officials of the State Air Resources Board, shows not only that anti-smog devices are effective, but the automobile emission standards adopted nearly ten years ago are holding up. A random sample of on-the-road vehicles showed 1974 models emit 83% less hydrocarbons, 79% less carbon monoxide, and 58% less oxides of nitrogen when compared with uncontrolled pre-1966 cars. The findings were contained in a staff report submitted to the board during a two-day meeting which ended today. Data was collected from exhaust emission tests run on 21,000 vehicles since 1965. There's a man in San Francisco who has an idea that might solve the Muni's problem of security on buses and trolleys, and also might save the money needed to hire more policemen. KCBS newsman Bob Safford talked to him. 
a man who for years headed the organization known as Youth for Service and now leads a group known as the Community Street Work Center has taken his proposal to end trouble on the Muni to the police department. When Percy Pinckney said his plan would not entail making special police officers out of his street workers, I wondered what might happen if one of his street people got into a fight with a gang of the troublemakers. That is nothing new to me. I have been doing that kind of work for 13 years. So I have a 13-year history, year history of breaking up gang fights. If you might uh, recall, I was one of the first street workers to enter the gang situation in the late 50s. So I have experience in that era, and I see no problem with that. After hearing Pinkney's proposal, Supervising Police Captain Jeremiah Taylor called it interesting, and as Taylor put it, possibly realizable. He said he would take it to the chief and see what he thought about it. Bob Safford at the Hall of Justice. KCBS News Time, 1129. Most appetizers you eat, but there's one appetizer you drink. Dubonnet. Before that's the time to think about some Dubonnet to drink. Before a meal by day or night, it helps to whet your appetite. Before, yeah, before. It's the time before for Dubonnet. Think of Dubonnet as an appetizer. It's the wine you drink before meals, before lunch, before dinner at cocktail time, before whatever you've got cooking. It helps to whet your appetite, whether you serve it straight, on the rocks, with a twist, or soda. Dubonnet before makes what comes after that much better. Dubonnet. It all started in France, of course. of USA, Dubonnet Company, New York, New York. Weather for the Bay Area, fair through Saturday, except patches of low clouds night and mornings. Fair, or rather slightly warmer days, lows tonight and Friday night in the upper 40s to mid-50s. 56 degrees in downtown San Francisco, 55 at the airport, 62 in Oakland. The News Authority, KCBS. Here's what's happening at 1130, Oakland. Bart says it will expand hours of operation to handle World Series goers. From Vacaville, word tonight that the prison may start again its Black Cultural Association. In London, Prime Minister Harold Wilson's Labor Party has apparently won Britain's parliamentary elections. I'm David Fowler in San Francisco. Are you in the market for a checking account that's really, truly free? Well, you can find it at Central Bank. You see... Most banks offer free checking as part of some complicated package plan, and you end up paying for a number of extra doodad services that you'll never really have any need for. Central Bank's free checking program requires only an initial deposit of $50 plus a small charge for printing your checks. After that, you're literally home free. There's no service charge to pay on the checks you write, no minimum balance to maintain, and at Central Bank, free checking means free checking for life. Offer available at practically all central banks now serving California. There are two in Richmond, 530 McDonald and Civic Center, as well as the central banks in El Cerrito and Novato. Or call 834-1100 for the branch nearest you. Central Bank, member FDIC. From London Ward tonight, the Prime Minister Harold Wilson's Labour Party appears headed for victory in the British election. With more than 80% of the parliamentary districts reporting, the Labour Party has 294 seats. Now, that's a gain of 19 against 184 for the Conservatives, who have lost 20 seats. As vote counting ended, the Labourites were only 24 seats short of an absolute majority, with 142 contests still undecided. 
With the victory goes a mandate for radical left-wing measures, including a wealth tax, nationalization of key industries, and a threat to quit the European common market. Washington sources say President Ford has threatened Congress with a pre-election session if the House refuses to delay an arms cut-off to Turkey. The threat was revealed after Ford had appealed in a Detroit speech for time to work towards peace in Cyprus. Ford also is said to have told House Republican leader John Rhodes that he will withhold action on a bill to help many government agencies meet their November 1st payrolls. The Turkish aid cutoff amendment is attached to the money bill. Preliminary screening of prospective jurors for the Watergate cover-up trial is over. Final selection of 12 jurors and six alternates will be made tomorrow. A court spokesman said the final 18 persons will be chosen from a pool of 45 District of Columbia citizens approved by Judge John Sirica and attorneys for both the prosecution and the defense. Wilbur Mills says it was just a little party for a friend, and that's the gist of a statement issued by the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. The story from Joey Wald in Washington. Congressman Mills declared he has no intention of resigning and plans to resume sitting as chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee on Friday. Mills said the incident was nothing but a party for two neighbors and a friend of the neighbors, with his wife staying home because of a broken foot. In a three-page statement released by his Washington office, Mills admitted drinking in, quote, public places and then leaving when one of the women became ill. The man he asked to drive, Mills said, was not familiar with his car and neglected to turn on the lights. Mills said the woman who got sick then tried to jump out of the car, and when he tried to prevent it, his glasses were broken and his face cut by the glass. The woman eventually got out and jumped into a reflecting pool. Then the park police arrived, rescued the woman, and took him home, Mills said. He described himself as embarrassed and humiliated. Joe Ewald, Capitol Hill. KCBS Newstime, 1134. The House Judiciary Committee wants to see how generous Nelson Rockefeller is. Panel Chairman Peter Rodino has asked the vice presidential nominee to provide gift tax returns going back 16 years. In the past six years, the former New York governor gave more than $800,000 in cash gifts to past or present aides. Time is running out for 86 draft resistors who in 10 days must return to prison. However, the Presidential Clemency Board has asked the Justice Department to extend the furloughs of the draft resistors so that each of their requests for clemency can be considered individually. If the Justice Department refuses, an emergency board meeting will be held next week. There are recurring stories about a seven-days-in-May-type military coup being planned during the last days of the Nixon presidency. Reporter Warren Nelson at the Pentagon checked those out, and he says they're not really true. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff thinks stories about a possible coup in the waning days of the Nixon administration were badly overplayed. Reports last month said the chairman, General George Brown, and Defense Secretary Schlesinger had acted together to prevent the possibility of the White House trying to mount a coup. Brown said all that happened was that Schlesinger asked him in July if any orders could be sent out without their knowing about it. Brown said he assured Schlesinger that any commander would routinely message his operational plan to the Pentagon. That would be on Brown's desk within minutes, and he said he would be in Schlesinger's office in 30 seconds. Brown emphasized that the Pentagon never sent any precautionary orders to commanders around the country, telling them to ignore direct commands from the White House. This is Warren Nelson at the Pentagon. KCBS News Time, 1136. Remember to follow the News Vault from KCBS Radio on social media. On Facebook, we're at News Vault Podcast. On Twitter, find us at News Vault SF. On Instagram, we're at News Vault. 
Until our next episode, you are leaving the News Vault from KCBS Radio. Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.